a, a comics role. Well, it's changed over time to some degree, but uh, different different ones are different. But their role is to pretty much skewer you know, our well, view of reality, <laughs> right? And the reason we laugh is because they point out something that's so obvious once you once you can hear it. Speaking of hearing, can everybody hear? I can. I speak a little loudly so that those of us who are getting older have an opportunity to hear. So when you ask questions, please speak up a little bit. And I'm also recording, which sometimes the question and answers are uh, compelling or interesting in these exchanges. Remember when uh, this recorder used to be about this big and <laughs> 80 pounds? Nowadays, they're so small, you're mostly in danger of losing them rather than getting a hernia <laughs> carrying them around. So let's see. Uh, this weekend, we had a lot of ceremonies, which is unusual. I think the robes and the ceremonies are kind of the worst part of Zen. We don't sort of want to give them up because this is the, this is the theater, and this is what people, this is how it looks, right? I mean, uh, if we were in cat in a hat suits, it wouldn't look like Zen. <laughs> Comedians understand this. <laughs> you, have to, you have to look the part. So my teacher, Matsuokuro, she, some pictures around here somewhere, uh, when we would go speak of Zen in public, he would always want us to dress the part and we'd put on robes and have a usually a white shirt and tie, Western style, because we didn't have all these Japanese accoutrements at the time. And he wasn't very high on uh, formality. But he didn't want us representing Zen in a very sloppy or casual way, because he, he knew it was too important. And uh, he came over in 1939, so what's that, 1940? That's before I was born, believe it or not. And uh, so that's about 70, how many years does that make? 1940 makes about 70 some years. And we've seen so many changes in Zen since then that we're seeing a lot of what he worried about coming true. <laughs> you know, that there's an overemphasis on intellectual Zen, on reading all the books, and then you think you know everything there is about Zen, right? Instead of practicing. And uh, there are a lot of people who are self-declared Zen teachers you know, self-declared Buddhist teachers. And so uh, some of the formality, there are reasons for, for the formality. It's a little bit like getting a PhD, peer review process. Uh, and now, uh, in those days, he was worried about book learning because you could virtually read all the books that had been translated into English in the 50s and 60s. Now it would be impossible. You could spend the rest of your life, you couldn't read all the books that have been published in English about mm -hmm. Zen, including a lot of very good things that have been translated from India, China, and Japan that weren't translated, that have been translated in the last 50 years. So a lot of the stuff that we have accessible now uh, wasn't accessible when I started practicing. Well, Matsuoka's emphasis, Matsuoka Roshi's emphasis was just on our sitting meditation. He pointed out that this is where Buddha learned it. 
It came from Buddha's meditation. It didn't come from something his teachers taught him. And so it's kind of do thou likewise is the main message. You can also do this. If you sit still enough long enough, you'll have the same kind of insight that Buddha had. Now this is hard for us to believe, right? That sitting still, uh, something so stupid simple would have, could possibly have any kind of profound effect. But if you think about it, it's very contrarian. It's very anti, what would you call it, counterintuitive. It's not natural for a, a mammal, a hunting, a hunter type prey animal to sit still for long periods of time doing nothing, right? We get very antsy. Uh, it's only when you're hunting for prey that you sit very still because you're waiting for the prey to come along. <laughs> Once they come along, it pounce on them. <laughs> so this sitting still is, uh, leads to what is called, in Buddhism, it's called samadhi. You've heard this term samadhi. means balanced state or stillness, um, centered, centered state. A cat, dog, chicken, cow, you know, trees, everything is in samadhi. A cat is in cat samadhi. When a mouse comes by, suddenly it's the samadhi of action, right? <laughs> They're after the mouse. So it's a deceptive thing because it looks very still when we sit. And Matsuoka Roshi kind of captured this deceptive quality of it. He said, it looks like a mountain, but actually it's a volcano. Well, if you think about a volcano, what's happening in a volcano is a caldera is building. Caldera is a sort of bulging magma coming up to the surface. It's just, it's not strong enough yet to burst through, but it's creating this mound of strength. Well, we kind of feel this in our stomach. We kind of feel powers. It's called hara in Jap Japanese, stomach power. You feel a kind of strength building there. In the martial arts, called the ki, or the chi, chi in Chinese. So eventually, like a volcano, it comes through. Something happens, something transformative occurs. Well, this is the great secret in Zen, that just sitting still enough, long enough, is the secret. Uh, you will undergo some sort of insight, some sort of transformation of your perception, your conception, your ideas, even your seeing, your hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, as we say in the sutra. In emptiness, they change, given emptiness, given shunyata, or what is called the true condition of things, which is a dynamic reality. Everything is changing. Buddha, Buddhism teaches that our mind imposes a false stillness on, on reality. We have to know if something is charging us. We have to know if something is running away from us. We have to know if something is sitting still. Survival. So when we sit in Zazen, we don't need to know that anymore. Uh, the discriminating mind, the thinking mind, sitting facing a blank wall is not very useful, <laughs> right? Well, we call it the monkey mind. It's like a monkey jumping from limb to limb of a tree. It kind of goes berserk if you don't give it anything to do, anything to think about. So you young ladies who come for the first time this morning, what's your names? Christina. And? Ashley. Ashley, Christina and Ashley. You may have found something, ah, I'm going crazy. <laughs> That's the monkey mind. We go through our daily life uh, sort of postponing everything mentally, right? I'll get around to that. Right now I'm busy, I'm driving or going shopping or going to go to the movie or something. And so this stuff accumulates. 
un unknown to us, it's accumulating all the time in our life. When we sit down and face a blank wall and give our mind nothing to do, it's all going to come out like a volcano, right? It's just going to come bubbling up and it's going to be all this nonsense and noise that's been building up in there for like a mind dump, you know. And there it is, and it's just chaotic and it's crazy and it's not very flattering to ourselves, <laughs> you might say. <laughs> but uh, gradually it subsides. Eventually the mind settles down and becomes calm like a kitten or a puppy dog. The monkey mind has its limits. It's looking for something interesting, exciting all the time. Uh, but it'll eventually run its tether out, get tired, lie down, take a nap. When that happens, we're still awake. <laughs> So the so-called Bodhi mind or wisdom mind comes to the fore. You might think of it as intuition, intuitive mind. That mind you use when you're doing art, when you're doing dance, when you're doing music, where it's not so much a thinking process as it is a gut feel you know, process. So that kind of mind comes to the fore in Zen and eventually becomes more a normal state of mind or new normal. We're more intuitive. We're less analyzing and thinking, or less worrying, less planning, right? Less critical of everything, more accepting. This is the sort of transformation. It's a balance of the two. Uh, you can think of this thinking mind that we are trained to value through our education. We get the good grades, we get the good jobs, right? We compete. We figure out how to not lose all the little bit of money we have, you know, or how to save money, how to invest and so forth. That's all very important and uh, it helps us in our survival. But again, it's useless when we're sitting facing a wall. We're sort of surrendering and giving up. That's not very useful. This sort of Bodhi mind or wisdom mind, background mind, this is foreground mind, you might say, very frenetic, very high frequency stuff that we're used to dealing with, driving and you know, talking and texting at the same time we're driving. <laughs> That's all over here. Over here is this sort of big wave mind in the background. It's sort of the reason behind the reasons we're here today. All the reasons we can come up with are over here. They're all these, well, I'd like to be calmer. <laughs> you know, I'd, like to, I'd like to, I've heard Zen is a good thing. I've read something about Zen uh, and so forth. But Buddhism looks at it as there's a big wave going on behind and these small waves are complementary and in sync with the big wave, you know, they, they sync up. But the big wave is the, the real reason you're here, your life reason, or the, you might say, the deeper philosophical reasons we're here today. We're on the path, you know, we're seeking something that is missing in our life. So Zazen allows us to slow down to basically a complete stop. Uh, once we've been sitting still enough, long enough, and the breathing and the sitting posture and the attention all come together in a unified way, we sort of come to a complete stop. And it's very important because none of us know how to stop anymore. You know, we're just go, 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 driven, driven, driven all the time, 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 right? Uh, time becomes something measured and we wonder, oh, if he's, how long is he going to talk? <laughs> it's already 9.15. <laughs> we could be having breakfast. Uh, time becomes something you measure. It becomes something you can lose. It becomes something you can gain. It becomes something you can save, right? It's a commodity. But when we sit in Zazen, we sink into real time. 
we re-enter real time, which you may remember from when you were a child, you know. <laughs> time was different for you. Uh, so Dice at Suzuki said the invention of measured time was a wonderful thing because it allowed us to develop uh, agriculture, it allowed, you know, linear cause and effect. It allowed us to develop the Industrial Revolution, you know, time and motion studies, efficiency, and, you know, the reason we have such a rich uh, economy and such a rich... Well, when I say rich, I mean consumptive. Oh. <laughs> when we have such a high level of consumption, the only reason, it's all based on measured time. It all devolves to that fundamental concept. If we didn't have measured time, we couldn't even talk to somebody on the West Coast. They would be in a totally different time. Uh, you know, we have daylight savings time, we have time zones. It's all like we're trying to control it very tightly because that's the way commerce uh, works. Our school seasons are still based on farming, for, for, you know, farm seasons. It doesn't make any sense at all. So it's very much out of sync. We've gone so far over on this side of measure time that, is, as, as Dai said, Suzuki said, it, while it was a wonderful invention, it was a great spiritual tragedy because people took it to be the way time really is. But when we practice Zazen, somebody said the barriers of time and space fall away. We enter into real time. And because, according to Einstein, space-time cannot be separated, we enter into real space for the first time. So this is some of the magic of Zazen. It's not something that you can readily appreciate the first time you're exposed to it. Uh, it takes repetition. But as I always like to remind people, the repetition is far more important than the regularity. Repetition is more important than duration, how long you sit. It's more important than frequency, how often you sit. The repetition, the fact that no matter what happens, you keep coming back to it in some way or some form. At some time, you come back and sit again. So Matsuoka Roshi said, don't give up. In his Japanese accent, don't give up. <laughs> don't give up. That was his, one of his main teachings. So no matter how bad it gets, no matter how unhappy you are, no matter how badly your marriage is working out, no matter how, you know, no matter how bad the job is that you just lost and so forth, you still can sit. And so uh, no matter how bad things get, you always have something you can do. And it always works. Now why it works, how it works, that's a book-length type of conversation. Right? It works on physiological levels, it works on mental levels, it works on emotional levels and so forth. So it's very difficult to go into that kind of detail in this kind of conversation. So what I would like to do is just recite again the uh, Zazen Shin, which was Master Dogen. Master Dogen, there's a portrait of him up on the window ledge there. He was in 13th century Japan. We call him the founder of Soto Zen. The Soto Zen actually started in Japan many hundreds of years earlier. Tozan, I'm China. Tozan and Sozan are the two uh, historical teachers around Anybody remember the date, six, seven hundred, somewhere in there? Uh, we've been studying them, I should remember. But, uh, so, Sozan is the Soto, and Tozan is the To. 
to is the actual teacher. You know, in the Asian languages, the last is first. So we would say to so because tozan is the teacher and so to sozan was the students. So to is the way the Japanese and Chinese say it. So Dogen brought this form of practice to to Japan from China about 1225. His teacher in China was from that lineage. And it emphasizes this so-called quiet illumination, or sitting upright. So Dogen's stress uh, for his time and for our time was on this simple practice of sitting meditation as being the essence of the teaching. So this poem is called Zazen Shin. It means acupuncture needle. You know an acupuncture needle? Anybody not know what acupuncture is? Uh, for Zazen, an acupuncture needle is very sharp and goes right to the nerve. <laughs> it's right, hits the nerve. So I'm going to recite it this time. I recited it and I think you just listen. This time I'd like to ask you to engage in an oral tradition where I say the line and you say it as soon as you hear me say it. You don't wait and it's not call response. But you say it as soon as you hear me say it and see if you can keep up. You don't have time to think that way. <laughs> So Zazen Shin, acupuncture needle for Zazen. I'll repeat the first line twice, and then some of these lines repeat anyway. I'll repeat the first line twice so that you can catch up. So it's a form of hearsay. As soon as you hear it, try to say it. You don't have to say it loud, but just try to say it and try to hear and say what I'm saying. This is the way the teachings were handed down the first 400 years or so. They weren't written down anywhere. You couldn't go read the book. You had to go listen, and you had to chant along with the people if you were going to learn these. So I think you'll find it an interesting exercise. The essential function of Buddhas, the essential function of Buddhas, and the functioning essence of ancestors, actualized within non-thinking, manifested within non-interacting, actualized within non-thinking, the actualization is by nature intimate, manifested within non-interacting, Manifestation is itself verification. The actualization by nature intimate never has defilement. Verification by nature authentication. What did I say? Actualization by nature verification never has distinction between absolute and relative. The intimacy without defilement is dropping off without relying on anything. Verification beyond distinction between absolute and relative is making effort without aiming at it. The water is clear to the earth, a fish is swimming like a fish. The sky is vast and extends to the heavens, a bird is flying like a bird. Did I say a fish is flying like a fish? Swimming, I hope. <laughs> so you want to do it again? Yes. It's a little fast, it's a little... It's very dense. You notice each uh, four-line stanza, the next one takes the last two lines of that stanza and opens it up a little more, and it opens up a little more, and so forth. So it's kind of an unfolding form. I think it was a form of Chinese poetry. So, Zazen Shen. The essential function of Buddhas, the essential function of Buddhas, and the functioning essence of ancestors, actualized within non-thinking, manifested within non-interacting. Actualized within non-thinking, the actualization is by nature intimate. Manifested within non-interacting, the manifestation is by nature verification. 
Actualization by nature intimate never has defilement. Verification by nature, manifestation by nature verification never has distinction between absolute and relative. The intimacy without defilement is dropping off without relying on anything. Verification beyond distinction between absolute and relative is making effort without aiming at it. The water is clear to the earth. A fish is swimming like a fish. The sky is vast and extends to the heavens. A bird is flying like a bird. So, <laughs> so what stood out for you there? What would you like to ask about anything? Thing that immediately came to mind, like, okay, I'm being so used to call and response in almost everything. I mean, you know, when I was a Christian, it was call and response. When I was in the army, it was call and response. <laughs> uh, you know, so repeating this, I was surprised how 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 much I was keeping up. Um, I mean, it was something I'd never heard before, uh, and I was still within a second or two of your recitation. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wasn't actually forming the words in my mouth, but my mind was following, and that was really surprising. So Matsuoka Roshi said, the chanting is the meaning of the chanting, not the meaning of the words. So if we did this chant, this same verse again and again and again, and we did it every day, say, and we lived in a monastery, you know, it wouldn't be long before we were all saying it together, and if, if I forgot a line, you would remember, or if you were doing it by yourself, you would remember the whole thing. So you can see this is a different way of learning, a different way of using the brain and using language and sound. Uh, rather than having everything written down. We lost a lot when we got the printed word because we lost this ability to actually listen and to hear and to assimilate through hearing. You know, now we say, oh, I can always read the book. And most people who are going around speaking have written a book. In fact, it's hard to get a speaking engagement unless you've written a book <laughs> that you're going to talk about that the audience can go read. <laughs> Why is the word acupuncture in the title? Because it's that needle that goes right to the center of Zazen. What is that needle? <laughs> you are that needle. <laughs> You're needling me. <laughs> this is not Dharma Complex. <laughs> yes. Okay, I, <laughs> I think I need the long one. <laughs> For those who don't, who don't know, we don't hit you with this unless you ask. You have to ask, and, then, and he's asking. He's asking you more. <laughs> so anyone else? What did you hear, the newcomers? What did you hear out of that? What stood out for you? Um, well, the end, just like the fish swimming like a fish. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, it doesn't matter that the water's calm. Or Mm -hmm. still swimming. How about you? It's Alyssa, uh, what was her name? Ashley, Ashley. Ashley and Christina. Christina. Well, I don't know, I guess uh, the fact of non-thinking yep. Actualized within non-thinking. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, that's what my attention actually. There's a, it refers to, and in Pukan Zazengi, which is another, the first track that Dogen wrote down, he was only 25 years old, when he came back from China, his, he had students already, 
and they wanted him to write something, maybe he's 26, to, that they could read when he was not around. Kokan Zazenki means universal principles of meditation, seated meditation, or promotion for Zazen, that kind of thing. And then there he says, he, he actually refers to an incident. There are these koans, you've heard of koans? Koan is, you know the sound of two hands clapping. What is the sound of one hand? It's an illogical riddle that is meant to cast something into your mind that you can't solve with the monkey mind. You know, you can't analyze it and figure it out. So you have to penetrate it or go beyond it, go beyond thinking, or go beyond reason or logic in order to get it. Right? If you answer that question, how, what is the sound of one hand? And the, the teacher ans accepts your answer. It said the teacher may then say, how big is that sound? <laughs> <laughs> so there's always uh, deeper, 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 right? So there he said, uh, he, he, he quotes this incident where a teacher is sitting there in Zazen and a, his student comes along and says, and this is unbelievable that you'd have your teacher sitting there in Zazen and you would say something to him, right? <laughs> you, you would bother him. He says, uh, what, are you do what are you thinking sitting there in that mountain still state, you know, like a mountain? And he said, uh, I am thinking, not thinking. This is all translated, of course, from Chinese. And they said, uh, how can you think not thinking? And the teacher said, it is not thinking. Well, Dogen said, this is non-thinking. When we're sitting, we may think, or we may not think. There are periods of time when thinking stops. You're just not thinking anything in particular, ding dong, you know. And then thinking, as soon as you maybe recognize, oh, hey, I haven't been thinking for a while, suddenly you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether we're thinking or not. That's not what we're doing. It doesn't have any real influence or effect on what we're doing. Now, in school and when we're in projects, some of our thoughts are very important. And a thought that occurs to you during sitting may be like a eureka or aha moment. So a lot of teachers, myself included, recommend keeping a notepad next to where you sit. When something like that happens, just jot down some key words so you can get back to that later. Because our thoughts, our projects, and so forth, the engagement that we have in society is important and it's part of our practice. We want to do it well. So you don't want to be sitting here, you know, ruminating and worrying that you're going to forget that important thought. That's just getting in the way, right? So you jot it down. Then you come back to this. So that does two things. It does what Dogen says earlier in Fukan Zazengi. He says, set aside all everyday concerns when you're doing Zazen. Set, set them aside. So this is skillful means or an expedient means or a trick, you might say, for setting aside our everyday concerns. We jot them down. Because I'm a designer, sometimes a, a visual idea occurs to me. I do a quick sketch. And I won't forget that, you know, the way something should go together. It just occurs to me sitting. Because when you're sitting, your mind is much more clear than usual. Well, there's no reason not to do that. The second thing it does, and I think is much more important, is that it brings us back to this, and it says, well, then what is this if it's not that stuff? And what, what is this about, right? What is Zazen about? It's not about that stuff. We're setting that aside, returning to what? <laughs> so 
That question, I think, is a rhetorical question. It's not necessary to answer. And in fact, if you try to answer it, you're getting in your own way again. But to continue to ask that question, what is this about? What am I doing? <laughs> you know, not why. Why, why is a religious question? We don't ask, answer those questions in Zen. But what am I doing? You know, what is this? So I think that's important. So Dogen is referring to this incident between this monk and his teacher. The teacher is, is stating out of this state of insider enlightenment that this is not thinking. It's something that is primordial to thinking. You might say thinking is on this upper level. Outer cortex is all the highest levels of thought. In Japanese it's called third nin. Philosophy, science, mathematics, all the greatest poetry, discoveries, so forth. Outer cortex stuff. As we move into the inner cortex, it's more uh, simple, second nin. Uh, still name and form, still nama rupa in Sanskrit. It's still, you know, uh, we're not going out of our mind here. It's still uh, ordinary consciousness, but it's not so complicated and not saying, oh, uh, grass mat, that's a kind of carpet. Carpet is, you know, consists of cotton. Carpet is made from, you know, on and on and on and on in Dalton, Georgia, you know. Uh, <laughs> thousands and thousands and thousands of interconnections and relationships. This is all third men, outer cortex. It's not very useful when we're doing Zazen. It's not unuseful, and again, jot it down if it's important. We think uh, great scientists, great poets, great authors, authors have come to their insights to a process that is very, including Einstein, very similar to Zazen. He described his thought experience as very visceral, gut-level stuff. It wasn't actually thinking, he said. So uh, as we proceed this way, you can see we're going from very complex outer third nin stuff to second nin to first nin, where you might say it's just simple awareness of being in environment. So Zen poses perhaps that there is a zero nin level. There's a primordial level of consciousness in which you cannot even say that there is subject-object. Well, Zazen. Uh, sometimes called shikantas, I mean just precisely sitting, this form of meditation is not really a meditation, ultimately. When we focus on the posture, and we focus on the breath, then it's subject-object. So that's a meditation, right? Uh, if we focus on counting our breath, that's a meditation. The subject is focusing and meditating upon an object. But ultimately, because this all simplifies and clears itself out, at one point, there's no more a sub, there's no more subject meditating upon an object. It's called objectless meditation, where subject and object have come together. And the precious mirror samadhi says, like form and and, uh, and uh, reality reflecting each other. It's one. It's as if it's one. It's not two. It's definitely not two. We don't assert that it's one. So this is a uh, rather mystical sounding. But if you think about it, it's uh, kind of the long-term natural process, just as you adapt to the weight of your clothes. You and your clothes have become one, right? When I mention the weight of your clothes, you can feel them again. You can separate subject-object. If you sit on this cushion long enough, your butt becomes numb. And then there's no more cushion. There's no more separation of cushion. Right? It's just this fuzzy area of sensation. So this process continues and deepens and deepens and deepens until self and other are no longer separate. 
mind and object, mind and body, uh, subjects and objects. That's why it's called objectless meditation, which is a contradiction in terms. <laughs> so Zazen Shin is pointing at this very closely, you know, making effort without aiming at it. We're still making effort, but there's no object. Very difficult in, in, in a way, existentially very difficult. Not like uh, most other things. So anything else on Zazen Shin? Well, may I insert the commercial? Yes, it's half after. Yeah, the commercial is that uh, we teach this practically on the first Wednesday of each month right here yeah. at 7 p.m. And it's more the how this uh, has yeah. been the how because that's all there is. There's not really no why. The only thing you can teach is the how. And that was the commercial. Good. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, let's close with Dogen's Bow, which is a little longer, but it speaks to a little more the philosophy of why we do this. Uh, Zazen Shin is uh, a poem pointing at sort of the essential nature of Zazen. This one is uh, why we practice Zen, you might say. We could do it the same way. Now, Dogen's Bow, Hotso, how's it called? Ehei is Dogen's name. Ehei means eternal peace. That's one of his Dharma names. Ehei-G is the monastery established by him. It's the circular flower on your, on your wagesa. This represents A-H-E-G. And the other flower represents So-D-G, which was founded by Keizan in the few generations after. These are the two main training temples in Japan today. So A-H-E-G-H-O-S-O-H-O-S-O-K-O-N-M-O-N means gate. So this is uh, a bow. This is a Dogen's bow. And again, I'll say the first line first. Um, we vow with all beings, we vow with all beings, from this life on, throughout countless lives, to hear the true Dharma, that in hearing it, no doubt will arise in us, nor will we lack in faith, that upon meeting it, we shall renounce worldly affairs and maintain the Buddha Dharma, and that in doing so, the great earth with all beings together will attain the Buddha way. Um, although our past harmful karma has greatly accumulated, indeed being the cause and condition of obstacles in practicing the way, may all Buddhas and ancestors who have attained the Buddha way be compassionate to us and free us from karmic effect, allowing us to practice the way without hindrance. May they share with us their compassion which fills the boundless universe with the merit or virtue of their enlightenment and teaching. Uh, Buddhas and ancestors of old were as we. We in the future shall be Buddhas and ancestors. Revering Buddhas and ancestors, we are one Buddha and one ancestor. Uh, awakening Bodhi mind, we are one Bodhi mind. Because they extend their compassion to us freely and without limit, we are able to attain Buddhahood and let go of the attainment. Thus the Chan Master Lang Ya said, those who in past lives were not enlightened will now be enlightened. In this life save the body, it is the fruit of many lives. Before Buddhas were enlightened, they were the same as we. Enlightened people of today are exactly as those of old. Quietly explore the farthest reaches of these causes and conditions as this, uh, something, <laughs> as this, uh, 
uh, practice, practice, quietly explore the farthest reaches of these causes and conditions as this practice is the exact transmission of a verified Buddha. Repenting in this way, one never fails to receive profound help from all Buddhas and ancestors. By revealing and disclosing our lack of faith and practice before the Buddha, we melt away the root of transgression by the power of our repentance. This is the true and simple color of true practice, of the true mind of faith, of the true body of faith. <laughs> so what stood out for you there, if anything? We're getting a lot of help from the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, aren't we? <laughs> Remember, usually in these things, when he speaks of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, that's you. So the Buddha who is having this realization and helping you is you. <laughs> it's funny you say it sounded religious because I felt like I had a religious experience. <laughs> and, it's, and I'm an atheist. So it was, uh, it was a very pleasant feeling. I memorized these things by setting them to music, but I also memorized them. My brother is, uh, my older brother, I don't have one brother, my brother is a jazz pianist and a teacher of jazz and, and classical music, and, and um, he teaches people to play, how to just play the instrument if they're trained classically, how to, how to improvise. But he said when he's teaching somebody to play a piece of notation, he has them memorize the last measure first. You've heard, may have heard of this technique. And then the measure before that, and then the measure before that. So that when you when you memorize that measure and then you memorize the next one, you can go all the way to the end. There's no blockage. And you memorize the third measure, fourth, and so you can go all the way to the end in a piece you're memorizing. So I started applying that to this, and I did the last two lines. This is the true and simple color of true practice, of the true mind of faith, of the true body of faith. And I couldn't get that this is the true and simple color of true practice. Why would you say color? You know, if you think about it, we say it's colored by this, it's colored by that, or this has the color of that, or Garfunkel said, I wanted a little more purple. <laughs> you know, he didn't have any technical ability in music. <laughs> so, <laughs> the orchestra would have to figure out what he meant by purple. <laughs> Simon did, you know, but he was long gone. <laughs> so this is the true and simple color of true practice. And then of the true mind of faith, of the true body of faith, we would say of the true body of faith, of the true mind of faith. Uh, what is said last, like you pointed out with the fish and the birds, what he said, what he said last is always the most important. So the body is more important in Buddhism because it's the concrete reality we work with. The mind is this, you know, Dogen said uh, if, if the cart won't go, you know, do you beat the ox or do you beat the cart? <laughs> he said, most people say you beat the ox, which we think of as the mind. We make the mind work. We make the mind behave. He said, I say you beat the cart. You make the body sit. If the body sits, the mind has to follow. So here, the true mind of faith and the true body of faith, the true body of faith is the important thing. That's what we have to work with, this body that we take action in. So our zazen is body-mind cannot separate. <clears throat> this is the true practice, the true color of the true practice. And then the last part, um, 
well, that, that, that part. Elsewhere, you'll see something similar where they, they won't say the past, past, present, and future. Uh, in, this, in this practice, there is no past, present, and future. That's say no past, future, and present. Because they will end in the present, which is the practical place where we are, where we can take action. This is the practical side of Zen. Anything else on that? And then we go to lunch. So there's not going to be much, I can tell. Brunch. 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 I, I found something useful. Somebody mentioned religious experience. Because I, early on, I had a similar um, problem with that word. And I, I brought it to you. And you and I said, what's the nature of faith in Buddhism and Dokusan? You yeah. said, uh, uh, you know, doubt is what faith feels like, much as courage is, or fear is what courage feels like. Yeah. And that completely um, changed what the word means in Buddhism for me because it's not the Christian expectation of having somebody else do something for you. It's, it's a reliance on recognizing what's going on inside. And, and so that, to me, is what the difference between. And if, it, if that helps anybody else, that's why I'm putting it out there. So um, True. Yeah, the true body of faith is doubt. Uh, it, emotional content of faith is doubt. The more doubt you feel, the more faith you're exercising. Just as the more fear you feel, the more courage you're exercising, if you don't simply become paralyzed. And action is the, is the way of Zen. Uh, action is the thought of Zen. So <clears throat> some, in, in any situation, we have to take action. And the action that we take then creates karmic consequences. Even if it's as neutral as just breathing for the next five minutes, we stay alive, right? We stop breathing for the next five minutes. We're dead. So, anything else on that? Let's just go around the room and give everybody a chance. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> no, but. Your <laughs> Chris. Christina. Christina. And Ashley. Your name is. John. Anything? Nope. Go ahead. Don. Don. You said, do you have anything? Oh. Just saying if you have a question or comment. Okay. Don, too? Don. I don't understand. Good. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah? Good. Thank you for your patience and listening. Come to Atlanta if you can. Uh, most of you know I'm available for Dokusan by Skype, by email. Uh, so if you want to engage in that kind of dialogue, please do so. Oh, and uh, we do have...